You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. All right. Everyone, welcome to another episode of Behind the Message with Jason. And Chris. And Jason. Just, you're, can we, we should do that again. You, you seem a little sad. Jason. <laughs> Normal. Oh, and Chris. <laughs> and Jason. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of good. All right. Um, I, it should, I had complete, I kept forgetting about this, but we were supposed, we obviously didn't record last week. You were gone. And then um, we were prepped, ready to go. I was the one that canceled. Well, you weren't feeling super great, right? No, I wasn't feeling great either. Okay. But then I thought I had a really bad head cold. Um, and apparently it was COVID. So um, so I'm good now, but I'm good. And uh, But I was like, let me not go share COVID with Jason Baker at the podcast. Appreciate that. I do, yeah. I made sure I put it all over Red Ginger in town at the buffet, <laughs> but... <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. Everyone else there acted like they had a... Well, (laughs) hopefully they've changed it out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it is what it is. So I I will say this. If anyone in our church has COVID, um, it's not my fault. Don't blame me. So, um, But anyways, yeah. So we just weren't feeling good. And I thought, just cancel. Cancel it. We'll we'll do it again. we'll do a different one next week. So here we are. Um, this is second to the end of this first Samuel study. This Sunday is the end. <laughs> it is the end. I'm gonna go ahead and kill Saul on Sunday. We're done with First Samuel. So I even have my points ready. I'm not really sure I want to keep them, but they're done. So First Samuel ends this Sunday. Don't miss it. 36 weeks in 1 Samuel. So that was never my intention, but that's how it all shook out. All right, well, because we won't record, I guess we're probably not going to record next week, just a heads up, because it's Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot going on, so they're finding that out in real time. (laughs) I know you all aren't disappointed. So yeah, next week, taking a break. You just get the end of the study message. So no behind the message. But since we're not recording next week, we need to ask the question we ask every year. I wrote this question and I hand on a Bible, Chris. I saw your eyes rolling (laughs) <laughs> while I was typing that question, and I'm glad you just confirmed that. <laughs> so, it's that time of year again. What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? It's next week. I was talking, by the way, I was talking to Marianne yesterday, and she said, Wait, Thanksgiving's next week? I was like, Yeah, yeah. She, she said, Oh no. <laughs> I was like, Yeah. I said, It's coming, Marianne. So, I hope you're ready. So, Thanksgiving, what's your favorite? Who's up? Deviled eggs. That's a good oh, one. Oh man, that is a good one. Yep. They always run out too. You gotta be quick <laughs> at my our place if you want to get deviled eggs. That's true. Um all right, how about you? 
I'd like to echo his deviled eggs, but also dad always used to make homemade dressing, mm-hmm. gravy, mashed potatoes, yeah, all the carbs. Yeah. So when you say deviled eggs, is there a preferred method? Like you want just the old-fashioned deviled egg with a little paprika mm-hmm. on top. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. You got anything? We put a little bit of pickle juice in ears. I don't know if that's traditional or not. Mm. As long as it looks like a normal deviled egg with the pe- paprika, then I'm yeah. fine. You, <laughs> you want the paprika yeah. on it? Yeah. Yeah. I like them so much. I don't care how people make them, just as long as they're they're there. So, yeah. I was wondering if people were going to say that. I, I say this every year, but I really genuinely like ma- mashed potatoes are my... So, and I, I don't really like gravy. Like, gravy can be good, but I feel like if you, if you need gravy, you just didn't make good mashed potatoes. That's my, See, that's put, my stance. I don't put gravy on my mashed potatoes. You put it on your turkey? Turkey, and sometimes my dressing. Again, depends. if you, if you need gravy, you made bad food. You think? I feel like people put gravy on turkey because turkey can tend to be dry. I'll tell you what it, but if you make turkey right, it's not like mm. it, it doesn't always have to be dry. I put corn on my mashed potatoes. Like KFC? Like the KFC bowls? No. I mean, I don't know. I don't remember how to KFC bowl, but I'll it's put like, like I'll mix my mashed potatoes and my corn together. Really? Yeah. I think my children do that. Or I'll just put it on top of my mashed potatoes. <laughs> Yeah, I can get that. So what about you have peas? a couple of geniuses corn, in your house then. Corn, peas? No, not peas. I'm not even putting peas on my plate. Oh, that's like an abomination. <laughs> oh, no, I like putting peas. Putting peas in mashed potatoes? I like, like peas. It's, but most making, people aren't making peas. They're not peas. even the lineup. They're not making the team. I don't even like split pea soup. Mm. Whatever, guys. Yeah. I did ask, um, I asked Ezra yesterday, or two days ago. I was like, buddy, what's your favorite Thanksgiving food? And I had forgotten that he really likes it, but he likes cranberry sauce, like mm-hmm. the the ones out, of, like the one out of the can. He has to have it out of the can, sliced up. So I just thought that was weird for a nine year old. Yeah. To it's... like, yeah. I said he like <laughs> I said like pumpkin pie, and he was like, eh, no. I'm like, all right, okay. Mm. It's cranberry sauce, which it is good. So anyways, uh, that's the consensus. If you're using gravy... Um, that was your consensus. What are you talking about? <laughs> and you know, you know to be consensus fair... Consensus of one. <laughs> to be fair, people make really good gravy. And I, I'm guilty. I put gravy on my turkey and all that. I'm just, I'm just saying. I think if you make... I like the mashed potatoes that are super buttery and they're mm-hmm. a little chunky... Mm-hmm. And they have a little skin still in the I game. I can do that. Yep. Yeah. Then I'm like, I don't really even need... I need some salt, maybe a little pepper, but I don't need a gravy. So, all right. All right, well, that's about all the time we have for the <laughs> podcast. See you after Thanksgiving. See you after Thanksgiving. <laughs> New series. All right. First Samuel chapter 28, 3 through 19. Um, I've said this a lot over this book but one of the most unusual stories of first samuel so three warning signs you can't miss number one obedience is more than a one-time transaction so baker this is for you mm-hmm. why did saul kick the mediums and necromancers out of israel 
I'm going to go with he was actually trying to be obedient to the law. Um, Leviticus 19.31, do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 20, verse 6. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations... The Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. And so I think there's enough evidence there for to back up um, you know, what the law says. But... Um, 1 Samuel fifteen twenty three also says, For rebellion is as the sin of divination, yep. and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you for being king. That was Samuel to Saul. Mm. <clears throat> that's, a, that's a good verse I thought of but didn't end up reading on Sunday. Yeah. And here's something I'm still wrestling with with all this. And... I don't have an answer for it. And if anyone listening is curious, um, they can look it up if they can find a good answer. While I was teaching, it was probably first service, I thought, was Saul fully obedient by kicking the necromancers and mediums out of Israel? Because the Leviticus 20 passage also mentions um, that they should be put to death. So... He, yes, it's good that he banished them from Israel, but then I thought, all right, well, is that medium from Endor, is she, is she someone that was banished from Israel? Because if she was, is there evidence that Saul probably should, there should, she shouldn't exist. Now, I'm not saying that for today. I'm just saying that Leviticus passage of Saul should have put them to death. And he kicked them out instead. I don't, I don't have a good answer for that just yet. So in the second service, yes, it's a, it's there's still some level of obedience, at the very least. It's still a good thing. Um, but then I added, maybe it's part, part obedience, kind of like he did with the Amalekites. He was partly obedient. He just didn't follow all of the Torah hmm. or all of what the Lord said. So I don't know. I'm just. I'm still wrestling with that. I don't have a good answer. But if anyone's like, I got time, I'll look that up. Go for it. Let me know. All right, Chris. Yep. What is a medium and necromancer? Uh, a medium? Voldemort. Voldemort. Oh, my goodness. Voldemort. He shall not be named. <laughs> uh, a medium in this context refers to a person who claims to have the ability to communicate with the spirits of the dead or other supernatural entities. 
Um, in some translations of the Bible, the term medium might be used while others might use witch or necromancer uh, to describe this woman that Saul consulted. That's good. Oh, question for you, Jason Payne. How is the occult still prevalent today? Um, I'd say for a world that that attempts to make science the god of our age, it's it's very interesting that it's still incredibly spiritual. Um, so I'd say mediums, necromancers are are still steeped in our culture, steeped in entertainment, mm-hmm. um, which is not a discussion, a full discussion I want to get into or focus on. Um, but because it's so steeped into our culture, it's bled over into actually seeking these things out and even participating in them. So that's not even just a part of books, movies, or whatever, um, or these callbacks. It's people are genuinely seeking these things out. And I took, I tried to find this article I just remember seeing the headline last month about a woman that um, gave up. Basically, it was basically that she found more power in witchcraft than being a Christian, being you know following the Lord. So mm-hmm. that's why she maybe that you know following God wasn't enough for her. So she went after this witchcraft, and I think <clears throat> that exposes a lot of that desire in people's life. Um, let me read a few things. This is from, um, we haven't, it's been a few podcasts if we have any critics but of mentioning him. But John Piper says, um, consulting mediums, tea leaves, fortune cookies, horoscopes, crystal balls, um, I'll even add personally, Ouija boards, or any other oracles beyond God's word is wrong because it belittles God as an inadequate revealer of mysteries. It says that God is either unable or unwilling to tell me that is uh, good for me to know. Therefore, he lacks the power for the, or the goodness to help me, so I will take matters into my own hands. Therefore, people who really love God and trust his goodness and depend on his sovereign power shun all practices of the occult. And I'll say it's not just things outside of the church. I think we've We've brought those new age kind of items into the church. We've brought these extra things into the church to somehow enhance our spiritual encounters from with God. Like the Bible's not enough. We need something else like essential oils. That was a joke. I'm just kidding. <laughs> People are like, hey, I like I sell essential oils. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. But if don't be weird about it. I'll just say that. If you like essential oils, don't be weird about it. Um, uh, the problem with the occult is not that, that Satan is like coming to inhabit items in our home. The problem with the occult is that we are seeking out power and, inform- and or information outside of God. Yeah. As you just mentioned, it, that's the, it's rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, I'd say there is a real spiritual world. Um, there are angels and demons. There, there is a supernatural, uh, demonic evil that is tied to the occult that, that really can destroy lives. Um, and we should be careful and make wise decisions in this area. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, um, this is the big thing that I thought of as I taught this. 
the, at the end of the day, we don't fear the occult. That's why I think most Christians lock in on. They're, they're just terrified of anything that's like hinting occult. We don't fear the occult. We fear God. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this isn't some 2023 witch hunt. This isn't labeling everything in entertainment or in our culture as demonic. Uh, this isn't avoiding all media. Uh, because there are references to the occult in some of it. It's a fear of the Lord that drives us to the Lord because it was the fear of man that drove Saul to the occult. Mm -hmm. So don't be Saul. That's that's the summary. Um, if I can add anything else, yeah, some essential oils actually do smell pretty good, so don't be mad at me. I wasn't knocking on it. Y'all do, do your thing. Whoever's doing it, y'all do your thing. Don't send me any messages. I love you all. <laughs> free samples. Free samples. Yeah, I don't have any free. Do y'all have free samples? No. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Somebody out there might have. Some. I'm sure. So what did I kind of went through some of this? What do you think Saul did in verse seven? <laughs> <laughs> so verse seven says, "Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her.'" And his servants said to him, "Behold, there is a medium at Endor." And this occurred immediately after Saul had sought God through prayer, multiple avenues. And of course, God was silent because he had basically already disowned Saul. Yeah. Um, so when he sought God and God didn't answer, he was seeking another way besides God to obtain the information and possibly power that he wanted. So, um, you know, once again, going back, it's full rebellion against God. He decided he was... Once again, going to try to do things his own way. Yeah, yeah, and I, I it, it's just conjecture, so I can't really make a teaching thing on it. I just thought it was interesting how quick the servants were like, "We know where a medium is." Yeah. <laughs> You're like, "Wait, I'm like, how do you?" You know what I mean? Like, maybe that's just how the story goes, but like, I just, it just seemed, I don't know, a little rough. So, why do we need a lifetime of obedience, Fortner? It's a good question. Um, I would say our obedience is part of our assurance that we truly know God. Um, if we look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Um, I also have down here, I said, um, Obedience shows our faithfulness to God and proves our love for him. Uh, so that's not a one-time action. I think it's a lifetime um, living your life that way. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Jason Payne, what does our love for the Lord have to do with obedience? I don't believe I read this on Sunday, but this is first John five, one through five. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not a burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So 
we've talked about this before, but love is the motivator for obedience. Like I don't serve my wife because I don't want to hear her complain or nag. Now, maybe I do sometimes, but the correct posture is to serve. I serve my wife because I love her. Um, if she if she asks me to do something, I don't like. Well, I don't want to hear her complain about this later. It's if she asks me to do something, I do it because I love her. You want to serve and obey the person that that you're in love with. So our love for the Lord is the motivator for obedience to the Lord. But there's a better promise for those that love and obey Christ. Um, it says in verse three of what I just read that that it's not a burden that our love. And obedience to the Lord means that we actually overcome the world. It's a victory of our faith. So we have faith, we love, we obey, we overcome the world. Saul fundamentally missed all that. He lacked faith, Mm -hmm. he lacked love, he lacked obedience, and therefore he couldn't even overcome the Philistines. So... um, there's that. All right. What do we have? Point two. Point two. Second warning sign. Repentance is the fruit that is required. Baker. Uh, why was the medium and indoor afraid of Saul? Verse nine from the text says, The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? So... She, this is before she realized she was actually talking to Saul, but you know, she's acknowledging Saul did cast all the mediums and necromancers out, and she's acknowledging that practicing those things could be punishable by death. So, you, you know, and even just you saying that reminds me of like maybe she didn't, maybe there, there is genuine dark power a medium could possess, but it also is even relates to she didn't know she didn't know who he was Mm -hmm. but she did have some sort of gift to sense something like something's not right and i think a lot of even mediums today like they have some sort of gift of intuition and like they can kind of sense that things are but they don't really have any they're more like empath type. Yeah. I mean, you can, people pick up on other people's. Right. They can read people real yeah. well. Yeah. Like maybe she can read Saul real well, but she can't really yeah. tell it's Saul. I don't know. Just something I thought about. Don't take that to the bank. But uh, So did the medium really bring up Samuel from the dead? Well, the passage does not give any indication that the apparition, the witch of Endor Saul was anything other than Samuel himself. Right. So um, we know that the medium was not producing an illusion because she she screamed. You know, she was surprised when she sees Samuel. Yeah. Um, also, the spirit rising from the earth is called Samuel. Um, the text does not say that the spirit appeared to be appeared to be Samuel or that the medium thought it was Samuel. The the text directly refers to the spirit as Samuel. Um, Further, the spirit spoke the truth of the message that Saul received was, was accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's even as I was studying and reading different commentaries, it's like, well, the text doesn't say it. It's anything but actual Samuel. So, Yeah. 
Um, Jason Payne, uh, why shouldn't we try to contact the dead today? Well, and certainly in summary, because everything we've already mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd also say just on a practical level, like Ouija boards, I'm pretty sure you can just go to Walmart tonight mm-hmm. and buy one. That Ouija boards are, and they're in the toy section, mm-hmm. but they're not toys. Um, it's it. No one's using this Ouija board. Um, like the fun of a Ouija board in people's minds is not like nothing's going to happen. The fun of the Ouija board is like something might happen. So it's a it's a real attempt to have contact with the spiritual world, um, which is clearly an offense to God, as we've already read. But but also I'd say, um, why shouldn't we try to contact the dead? Is because we might not like what we find out. Hmm. Uh, this is there is a real spiritual world, and in God's grace. He allowed Samuel to come back and give a message. Um, and it wasn't a message like, look, Saul, I'm in a better place. And I love you. I've always loved you. You're loved. Everything's going to be okay, Saul. Like, I think those are the kinds of things that we want to hear. Like, that some sort, someone and that we love has died. We want some sort of reassurance everything's okay. That's where that desire, oftentimes to contact the dead um, come from. And Samuel's message is, yeah, you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> you and all your sons are going to die. Um, so news from the grave, from at least what we see in Scripture, is not reassurance. It's, it's deadly. Um, so yeah, uh, this time it really was Samuel. But since there is, this is a spiritual world, next time... Might be a demon. I I can't deny that. Like if your methodology uh, for hunting for answers in the spiritual realm, whatever that is, whether you want a sign, whether you want to contact the dead, whatever it is, if your methodology for hunting for answers is rooted in what scripture calls demonic, don't be surprised when you stir up something demonic. So I'd say... Let sleeping dogs lie is my summary point. Of that. <laughs> um, I, I I googled like let dog let dead dogs lie and I was like that's not a that's not a saying but people get the point there. So well, I had whenever <laughs> I was getting this together, I don't the story of um, Lazarus came to my mind where he had I thought about it. He all. begged him to send somebody to his brothers, and he's like, right. even if I send some, they're still not going to listen. Yes. So I, I don't know. That came to my mind. When I thought about that a lot, and I was like, that's a hard parable to to detour on Sunday. Um, but it was like, you have a message in a parable. Someone like I want to send a message from the grave, and yeah. he's like, they're not even going li- to. He's not going to listen to you, like if. If they didn't listen to the prophets, if they yeah. didn't li- they're not going to listen to you. Yep. And it's the same with with Saul. Samuel warned him, and you still don't even have Saul repent. You still don't even have Saul like, God, forgive me. If, you, if there's any grace there, just don't let this happen. Saul's like, God, let's have a meal. I mean, and, and he had to be encouraged into that but he sits down and has a meal with the medium and you're like hi yeah. you're just not gonna if you're not gonna listen to anyone else if you're not gonna listen to samuel when he was alive you ain't gonna listen to him when he's, he's dead, dead. Yep. but yep, yep. 
So, <laughs> all right. Uh, da, 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 Three. Sin is the no, offense. No, no, no. Yes, it is. Is it? Why did Saul? What did no, Samuel you're, say you're to Baker, Saul? Oh man, so we got a while to go. Right. <laughs> what did Samuel say to Saul? No, well, first he said, "Why are you disturbing me?" Um, but then, verse sixteen, Samuel said, "Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as He spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David." Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hands of the Philistines. Um, so, of course, like you said, you know, by tomorrow you and your sons are all going to be with me. Uh, Israel's army is going to be taken captive. But I thought it was interesting. Samuel went back and referred to Amalek, which goes back to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, where he mentions, For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. So to me, when I, I thought about that verse, it's almost like full circle. Yeah. Because... Mm-hmm. Samuel actually mentions divination in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Yep. And here he is talking to Saul because of divination. Yeah. So, And that was where Samuel basically told him, God's taken the kingdom out of your hands. Right. That's why I love so. teaching, or just as we study the Old Testament, the more and more you get it, the more and more all those dots begin to connect. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know if I caught that. That's... It's well, kind of like, uh, yeah, I told sense. you already. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I even told you about divination, and here you are doing it. So That would have been a good direction of the message if I thought about it. Um, I'll send you my late. notes yeah, next time. Please. <laughs> it's too late now. Maybe for Samuel round two. <laughs> 2024. It's like, let me try this again. How many people do you think would stick with us as a church if I was like, I'm going to redo it? <laughs> We got to do over here. We got to do over. All right. Uh, why why didn't Saul ever repent? Uh, let's see. Saul. Uh, first of all, Saul valued the opinion of of the people over God's wisdom. Uh, he feared people when he should have feared God. And uh, lastly, he worried about his own reputation and honor instead of uh, repenting and getting right with the Lord. Mm. That's what I think. <laughs> That's what I think. I think you're right. Uh, Jason Payne, what does genuine repentance look like? See, it's it's certainly not just a turning. It's a changing of mind, a changing of mind, your mind about sin, uh, even changing your mind about who God is and God's role in, in your life. So genuine repentance uh, isn't just turning away from sin. It's changing your mind about that sin. It's submission of your mind that leads to your heart. So sin is sin. Sin is not the best. What God says in his word is best. Uh, So genuine repentance isn't just feeling bad. That's all Saul ever did. All throughout 1 Samuel, you just see him feel bad. But he just never really submitted his entire heart to the Lord. And time, and I guess sometimes you're like, 
was it genuine repentance or not? I'm like, well, give it a little time. Time will tell. Time will tell. And as we'll find out Sunday, time has shown that mm. um, it doesn't seem like he did. So uh, like obedience, I would say repentance is more than a one-time transaction. It's this constant turning your heart to the Lord. So Saul turned to the Lord to get something from the Lord. That's when you see Saul turn to the Lord. He turns to the Lord to get something from the Lord. We turn to the Lord to get our heart right with the Lord. That's a massive difference. So that's that's the difference between genuine of hmm. what genuine repentance looks like. Or at least to the beginning of it. Alright, we're officially at three. <laughs> As sin is the offense that leads to death. Why does all sin lead to death? Um, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, also, Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So, you know, death came into the world through sin. It's the wages or the consequences of sin um so i mean that's just that's the natural consequence of of, of sin it it's always brings death with it and of course romans 6:23 you know it's the, it's the opposite of obedience which you know leads to life through god through eternal life through christ jesus so um it's just the natural consequence of sin yeah. so that's bad news Chris, good news. How did Jesus pay the price for our sin? I have lots of scripture here. Uh, Romans 5, verse 8 and 9. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. I got Hebrews uh, 9, 12 through 15. He, went, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serving the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Um, God the Father made the sinless Son to be sin for our sake, that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, you can look that up in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus absorbed the Father's wrath against our sin and paid it in full so that whoever believes in him should not perish but instead have eternal life. And that's basically John 3.16. It's basically. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was about football. Mm, nope. <laughs> that's good. So the summary to what both of you all said is that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Uh, Jason Payne, what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Figured it'd be a good 
basic answer for us to, to go over. But I read some of this when we did Baptism Sunday, Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So it is to believe in the gospel. So if you're like, how do I know if I'm in Christ? Do you believe in the gospel? Um, It's to repent. It's to obey. It's to be united with Christ in baptism. So that, that means that we've died to self and been, have been made alive in Christ. So now when that happens, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in us. So we're in Christ. Christ is in us. Which I'd say is why baptism is so important. It, we're, we're identifying with Christ mm-hmm. in the most fundamental and necessary way. We must die to self and become alive in Christ. So, you want to know if you're in Christ? Listen to that again and see if that applies to you. So, Baker, mm-hmm. why should we repent if we're not even condemned by our sin anymore? Well, just as faith isn't a one-time deal, it's continual repentance is also not a one-time deal. Um, In his book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, uh, John Murray says, saving faith is permeated with repentance and repentance is permeated with saving faith. Um, Those two are intertwined. They can't be separated. And, you know, if we truly have genuine working faith, repentance is going to be a part of that. They're evidence for each other. Um. There's a Puritan preacher named John Owen. He has a book called The Mortification of Sin. Um, One quote from him says, Set faith at work on Christ for the killing of thy sin. His blood is the great sovereign remedy for sin-sick souls. Live in this, and thou wilt die a conqueror. Yea, thou wilt, through the good providence of God, live to see thy lust dead at thy feet. So that's a book. If you're interested in it, he doesn't play around. But I, I got that on a t-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a, big, it's a big shirt. You know, it's you know they're uh, you know he lived in the 1600s. I feel like even back then there was a more of a mentality. They understood the danger of sin greater than perhaps we do in our own society. Like they were. We all got phones. Yeah. I mean, they were aggressive in their own lives with their sin. Um, And then another quote from the same book, he says, Every unmortified sin will certainly do two things. One, it will weaken the soul and deprive it of its vigor. And two, it will darken the soul and deprive it of its own comfort and peace. So, you know, for us as believers, the longer we let it dwell within our lives, you know, the farther... um, it kind of it separates us from God, but it it you know it drives us into a dark place. Yeah. Um, that numbs us and our our sensitivity to our Lord and Savior, and you know the importance of walking that path. Yeah, I think even David says that in the Psalms. Like, yeah. basically, when he refused to repent, he just he just withered away. Um, mm-hmm. So that's good. That's, this is the last behind the message of 1 Samuel. 
Um, so what's the biggest thing you've learned or have been reminded of 36 weeks of first Samuel? Anything. <laughs> Chris. Um, we need to be humble and uh, just wait patiently on the Lord. And um, we need to be obedient to the Lord in every season of our life. Yeah, that's good. Baker, what's something... I think just looking at David and Saul and contrasting the two of those guys. Yeah. I mean, they were both, for a good bit of our sermon series, pretty much dirtbags. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but the contrast is we have David who had faith, he was repentant, and then we have Saul that lacked that. And yeah. we see the two different directions. Yep. But that will change for David, though. Those guys. Well, but I mean, he's, he's still, but he, but that's the thing. I mean, that's grace. Like in the, right. we're looking in the Old Testament. Right. Here we see, like grace is abounding with David because man, yeah. he, just like he, you know, he did things just as evil as Saul did in times. He had somebody killed. He had, you know, an an affair and all those things. But you know, because he did have genuine faith, he did keep coming back to God and repenting. And that difference in the changed heart, you know, I mean, that's, um, you know, so really looking at those two guys, but what we're seeing is God's saving grace. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> I put God's grace in there, too. That was a, just a hot, constant highlight of just how God, was, how gracious he He was throughout just every story and and for Samuel certainly God's sovereignty even you reminded me and just thinking like how much first Samuel 15 would connect with first Samuel 28 and just seeing how God was moving behind the scenes in ways you don't even realize or even Hannah and she's like I'm never gonna have a kid Mm -hmm. crying in the temple to like well no this whole we're gonna name two books of the Bible after your son, by the way. Um, that's an oversimplification of that. I realize that. but um, <laughs> So just seeing God's sovereignty. And personally, just on a, pers- on a personal level, I was really humbled to teach it because I've felt really inadequate when, I mean, over a year and a half ago when I decided when we were sitting at the pool and... Destin, Florida, with Corey's family. It's like nine, or it's not nine. It's dark out, and the kids are playing in the pool. And I'm thinking, like, I don't know what to teach. And I said, let's do, I just thought, like, let's do First Samuel. And I remember how much that terrified me, knowing, like, I don't want to mess this up. So that's how I felt every week. I'm like, don't screw this message up. Don't say something that ruins the rest of the series. And just by God's grace, we've figured it out every week by week. It's not been perfect. I've learned a lot throughout the way. but um, So it was a humbling experience, but we made it. So, All right, who wants to pray? We're done. Jeez, y'all act like my children at dinner. <laughs> <laughs> who ate first? That's usually the... Whoever eats first has to pray first. So, what? Never mind. Chris, you want to pray? <laughs> I can't pray. Okay. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we just again thank you for this time that we can, that, that this time that you've given us, A, that we can gather and uh, dive deeper into your word. 
Uh, we are so thankful for your word that you've um, bestowed upon us that, I mean, this is the way that you communicate with us, that that we can uh, see your character and who you are and um, the path that you've laid out and um, just the story of you. And we're just so thankful for you and thankful for your word and uh, thankful for your son that uh, that you, you've made a way for us to know you and, and to be forgiven and, and to be right with you. And um, just thank you for everything that you're doing. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.